Good morning. Glory. It's good to see you. Good to be with you this morning. We're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the story of Jesus. And we're in Luke chapter 7 this morning, the first 17 verses of Luke chapter 7. We have two scenes here in this chapter that we're going to be looking at this morning. And before we get into them specifically, I want to give a little bit of the context here that sort of bridges both scenes. Uh, both of these scenes take place in small towns. In Luke chapter 7, verse 1, we see that Jesus is in or entering into a little town called Capernaum. And then in verse 11, he is entering into a town called Nain. The reason that these are significant to me is because it is a reminder to us that you and I don't get lost with God. That we can be from the smallest of little towns and, and just, you know, sometimes we feel like in this big world, like sometimes everyone is missing us and, and, and we're not being seen. And, and somehow, you know, God is, is not seeing me and all of that. And, and we are reminded in both of these scenes, God is the God of the big city and also of the small town. And, and God also, in the first scene, is dealing with a centurion, a man who uh, has great power and great wealth uh, in his society. And yet in the second scene, he's dealing with a woman who's just lost her only son and who's also a widow. So someone who would have been very destitute, somebody who would have been very desperate. So you have, again, the gamut. You have Jesus dealing with a Jewish woman, and you have Jesus in the first scene dealing with a Gentile man. He's crossing cultural barriers there uh, because God loves the world. <laughs> There's no one that God does not love. In the first scene, Jesus in, is invited to help. In the second scene, he's not invited, but he initiates the contact. So in a sense, it's like it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Jesus is always there and available. In fact, I'd like you to take your eyes and direct them to the very last phrase of verse 16. And I want you to look at these seven words. God has come to help his people. God has come to help his people. That's what these two scenes illustrate. That's what God wants us to get today. Is that God is present. He is here today. He's in your home today if you're viewing live stream. And he is here to help us. That's who he is. He asks us to call upon him when we need help. In the big things and in the small things, it doesn't matter. God is always available to help. Now, in this first scene, in the first 10 verses, the thing that's interesting about this is that it's not so much the miracle that God wants us to draw our attention to. It's the attitude of the centurion who's asking for the miracle. And so there's something there for us to see what is this man's attitude, if you will, 
as he comes to Jesus and asks for help. I have entitled this message today, Amazing Jesus. And I'm not just talking about the fact that Jesus is amazing, because he is. He's always amazing, and we're going to see how amazing Jesus is today. But in this first scene, Jesus is amazed. In fact, it is the only times throughout the Gospels in Jesus' ministry here on earth, there's only one thing that you and I could do as a human being to ever amaze Jesus. And we find it here in these first 10 verses. So let's begin. In verse 1, it says, when Jesus had finished teaching all these things, we looked at that great sermon last week where Jesus was teaching not only his disciples but all who were following him about his values, the things that were on his heart so that you and I, as we follow him, could prioritize those things. And then it says he entered into Capernaum. And in Capernaum, there is a centurion there who is highly regarded and who has a slave of his who is highly regarded. And this slave is very sick, very ill. In fact, the Bible says in verse 2, he is near death. So a very serious, very serious situation. Now let's talk about the centurion for just a moment. The word centurion is very close to our word century. And it comes that way because centurions usually were in charge of at least 100 men, okay? Um, he would have been a Gentile. He would have been part of the occupying force in Israel. And he would have been a very powerful, wealthy man. And yet he had this servant of his that was special to him. And he didn't want to see him die. And then you read verse 3. Now remember, this man, this centurion, is not a Jew, not part of the people of God. And so what we read in verse 3 is very significant. It says, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to Jesus, asking him if he would come and heal his slave. Notice that this centurion is moved by what he heard. He had never seen Jesus in person. He had never seen Jesus do any other miracles. All he did was hear about who Jesus was and the things that Jesus had done. That's faith. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You see, that's why miracles even and signs are not the end-all, be-all. They can confirm something, they can assure us, but that's not where our faith is built. Our faith is built on what we hear, not what we see. Because you and I all know even examples in the Bible where people saw amazing things. In fact, they saw Jesus rise from the dead, and yet they never came to faith. Why? Because the way God designed it, faith comes by faith hearing. That's why God has chosen for the, through the foolishness of preaching to bring people to faith, not only initially to faith, but to strengthen the faith of those who already believe in him. It's through what we hear, 
And so we even see an example here of someone who was not part of the people of God, not someone who was a Jew, not someone who had all this Old Testament background and lineage and spiritual foundation. No, here was somebody that, that really had no foundation spiritually probably in his life except the fact that he was hearing about Jesus and he believed by faith the things that he was hearing and that moved him to act. God is doing the same thing today through what we hear about God and about Jesus, it should move us to action. What is God speaking to you about today because he wants you to move in a certain way, you see? Now, specifically here, this centurion is moved to ask Jesus to come and heal his slave who's about to die. You see, he's moved based upon what he now has heard about Jesus and what Jesus has done to ask him for something. Let me ask you, based upon what you have heard about Jesus, are you moved to ask him for things? Jesus talks a lot about that. He even says, you have not because you what? Ask not. Jesus is always encouraging us and inviting us to ask because our asks should be based on our faith. What we have already heard, know, and believe and are convinced about Jesus. This was the centurion. So the centurion sends this group of Jewish elders. He is culturally sensitive. He doesn't send Gentiles, he sends Jewish elders to Jesus. And he sends them along the way, and when they come to Jesus, they not only are inviting Jesus to come and heal his slave, but they sort of start out by saying, Jesus, we are urgently and earnestly urging you to come and do this for this centurion. And notice what they say, because this centurion is deserving in a sense, he's a good person, and he loves our people, and he's even helped us to build a synagogue. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but what we find out in just a little bit is the centurion did not consider himself deserving. The centurion did not consider himself worthy uh, in any way. That was not his attitude. That was the attitude of the Jewish elders who had come to make this request of Jesus. And so you'll notice in verse 6, Jesus went with them. I love that. Jesus heard what was going on, and he responded. He went with them. And the Bible says that when he was not far from the centurion's house, the centurion even had a change of heart. This time, instead of sending Jewish elders, it says he sent a group of his friends out to Jesus. And here's the message that his friends had for Jesus when they got there. Lord, that's important. The centurion is addressing Jesus as Lord, the master of the universe. How did he get there? He heard and he believed what he heard, that Jesus was more than just a good person 
a prophet. Jesus was the Lord of the universe. And he says, Lord, do not trouble yourself to come because I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. This centurion, who was a very powerful, wealthy mover and shaker in his society, was humbling himself under the Lord. He knew his place, and he was acknowledging that Jesus was greater than him, that Jesus was above him, even though he occupied a high place in his society. God responds to humility. It's not that God wants us to think less of ourselves than we should, but to see ourselves properly, especially in relationship to him. Because the Bible says God rejects the proud, but is always gracious to those who are humble. And this centurion was expressing humility in his approach to Jesus. That's always a good thing for us to humble ourselves before our Lord and remember who he is as we come before him. And then the centurion, through his friends, says this. This is why I, verse 7, did not presume to come to you on my own. Instead, say the word, and my servant, and don't miss this next word, must be healed. Amazing. This centurion, just based on what he has heard about Jesus, first of all, believes that Jesus can heal his slave who's near death. There's no question about that. And he believes that all Jesus has to do is just speak the word. Now, what's amazing about that is not only, again, this faith that this Gentile centurion is expressing in Jesus just based on what he's heard, not ever what he has seen. But as far as we know, this is the first expression of a miracle that's done at a distance. In other words, up to this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus was always right there, present to be able to perform the miracle that Jesus did. This centurion believes in such a great Jesus, such an amazing Jesus, that he doesn't even need to be there. He can be somewhere else, and all he has to do is speak it, literally breathe out the word, and his centurion will be healed. Why? Because he says, because that sickness, that illness that my slave is suffering from, that is under your authority. You speak the word. You just say it, and my centurion must be healed. Because that sickness, that illness is under your authority, Jesus, because you are Lord. And therefore, if you are Lord, that means everything in our world is under your authority and power. There is nothing over you, you see. Nothing over you. In fact, the centurion in verse 8, basically through his friends, tells Jesus, I get authority. I'm a centurion. 
I live in that world of authority and power every day, and I express it every day to those soldiers under me. I tell them, go, and they have to go. Come, and they have to come. To this servant, do this, and they have to do it because they are under my authority. I get authority, Jesus, and I have recognized through what I have heard about you that you are the one in the universe who has all power and authority and that there's nothing in this universe above your power and authority. So you just say the word, Jesus, and my servant must be healed. And notice Jesus' reaction, verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Can you and I, as a mere human being, can we amaze God? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what the word amazed means here? It means to marvel at, but it also means to admire. Jesus admired this man's faith. You ever want to have the admiration of God? I can tell you from the Bible how that can be achieved. When you and I express faith in our God, when we believe in the authority and power of our God because our God is amazing, And there's nothing that our God can't do. There's nothing that's too hard or too difficult for him. Everything is under his authority. What is faith? Faith is the certainty and conviction of who Jesus is and the confidence in what he can do. The certainty and conviction of who Jesus is. Do you and I believe that he is the Lord, the master, the sovereign of this universe? And he has all authority and power. And that we are confident in what he can do and accomplish. Because notice, then Jesus turns, verse 9, to the crowd that was following him, and he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Even amongst my people who have all this Old Testament background and all this history with me and, and their God and all of that, I haven't even found that kind of faith in Israel. That should be an encouragement to us. Jesus is saying, you don't have to be a Jew to amaze me. You can be a Gentile. You can be anyone, because anyone who wants to express that kind of faith in Jesus can at any time, based upon what we hear. And notice also Jesus says to them, he says, not even in Israel have I found such faith. You know what that tells us? Jesus is always looking for it. He's always looking to see who's going to put their faith in me after searching. So even here today, 
in your homes, of those of you who are watching here in this auditorium, Jesus, guess what? He's looking to see, will you place your faith in me? Do you have the kind of faith that this centurion had simply after hearing about me, that you believe that I am the Lord and that I have all authority and power and whatever you're dealing with spiritually, emotionally, or physically, it is under my power and authority. Do you believe that I have the authority over that and that all I have to do is say the word and it's under my authority? Well, the Bible then tells us, so when they, this group of friends, went back to the home of the centurion, they found the servant well. Literally, in the Greek language, he was in perfect health. Jesus said the word, and the servant was healed. An amazing Jesus. Amazing. He's not just here to help anyone or, you know, certain people. He's here to help anyone. This centurion reached out to Jesus, and Jesus was right there, ready to help. And Jesus is right here, ready to help any one of us today if we just turn to him and believe that he does love us, he does care about us. And now we're certainly going to see not just his authority and power in this next scene, we're going to see the heart of Jesus, not only for this woman and this family, but for you and I as well. So let's move on. The Bible says in verse 11, soon after this, Jesus went to a town called Nain. He was accompanied by his disciples, because that's what disciples do. They're always with Jesus, just following him and accompanying him wherever he goes. And there was also a large crowd as well following Jesus at this time. And it says, as Jesus approached the town gate of Nain, that they were carrying out this man who had just died out of the town, and that he was the only son of this poor woman who was also a widow, and that there was a large crowd from the town with her, supporting her at this moment. Let's stop there for a moment. That would be hard for someone today. That was a really desperate condition for this woman in those days. And that's why the Bible wants to emphasize her desperate condition. She's a widow already, so she doesn't have a husband. And now her only son, who would have been her only means of support in that society, now has died. She truly is all alone. And financially, she's really going to be in desperate straits. And then the Bible says this. It says, when Jesus saw her, he had compassion for her. Let's stop there. There's a lot there. Because God wants us to understand today, and Nicole touched on this in her prayer as at the end there of our time of worship, that God sees us, and he wants you to know that today. I see you. And, and the idea of seeing her here is more than just physically seeing her with his eyes. It means he's attentive to her. It means by his seeing her, he's taking an interest, a personal interest, 
interest in her. He's not seeing past her. He's not seeing through her. He's seeing her. And Jesus is doing the same thing today. He's not looking past you. He's not looking through you. His eyes are very attentive on you. And he's taking great interest in you and in what's going on with you and in your life right now. That's amazing. Because he's the Lord of the universe. Yeah. And yet as great as he is, he always has us on his mind. We are never out of his care. He never loses attention on us. How he can keep all of us straight, I can't answer that. Again, that's how amazing God is. That somehow God can give every human being his full attention and not have to draw his attention away from someone over here to put his full attention on someone over here. No, God can give each of us his full, undivided, and complete attention. And today, God wants you and I to know, I see you. Because sometimes that's all we want, is to just know we're seen. And then it says... He had compassion for her. It meant he was moved. He was touched. He felt what this woman was going through. He was affected by what he was seeing there that day. That here was this dear woman who did not have any other family members, and now her only son has tragically died. And by the way, in that culture, that would have also meant that this man would have died that day because they buried their dead immediately. He would have died maybe hours earlier, okay? Maybe that morning. And by afternoon, when Jesus is entering into that town, she's obviously still even processing maybe the shock. We don't know anything about his illness or how long he was ill or did he suddenly die or any of that but obviously it was right there on top of her and Jesus had compassion for her and again he has compassion for us he's moved by what we are dealing with and what we're going through he's affected by it he's touched by it he's felt by it this is a a truth that is taught throughout Scripture. It's why the book of Hebrews spends so much time teaching us that our Jesus is also our high priest, our mediator, because a priest was someone who would enter in and had great empathy and sympathy for the people that they were ministering to. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you realize that your high priest, Jesus, is someone who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He feels what we feel. What an amazing God. He's not only the God who has all authority and power, he's the God who has a heart for each of us. He loves you and I more than we could ever imagine, and he enters into the pain that we are dealing with in our life. He gets right down there with us. I hope you... Believe that today. Because so many even Christians get to a place where they get jaded because of the circumstances and situations that they go through and our hearts can get hard, not only toward each other, but towards God. 
and we begin to think, because we listen to the lies of the devil, that God doesn't love me and he doesn't care about me because if he did, things would be different and all of this, and he doesn't see me and he doesn't hear me. And all those are lies that come right from hell itself. That is not the truth. The truth is we're always seen by God. We're always heard by God. God always sees us. He always has compassion for us no matter what we're going through. And then he tells her this, do not weep. Not because it's wrong to weep. In fact, the Bible encourages us to grieve and weep. It's healthy. So then why is Jesus telling this woman who's following the coffin of her dear and only son not to weep? Because he's making a request in anticipation of what he knows he's about to do. In a sense, he's, he's trying to draw her to a place of faith, saying, look, I know you see no reason not to weep right now, but in just a few seconds, I'm going to raise your son from the dead. So in anticipation of what I'm going to do, I need you to trust me, don't weep anymore, because there's not going to be any need for it. Is there something right now that Jesus is speaking into your life, and maybe it's not making sense right now, but Jesus is trying to draw out your faith, and he's saying, I need you to do this in anticipation of what I'm getting ready to do. Because Jesus works that way many times, again, to build our faith in him. He will speak into our lives saying, I need you to do something in anticipation of what I'm getting ready to do. Not what I've already done, but what I'm getting ready to do. And he's trying to build that faith into us. And then he shows how much he wants to get involved in this situation. That he wants to interact in this situation because it says then he came up to the beer. The beer is another word for coffin, but really in those days it wasn't a coffin as we know it. It literally was a slab of wood that they would place the body on and just carry it to the burial site and then bury it. So the body of this young man would have been just lying, lying on top of this plywood and it says that he came and he touched the beer Jesus wants to touch you today because the word for touch here means a touch that changes or alters someone or something and you know what Jesus has the power and authority to give us that kind of touch he wants to come into our life and he wants to touch us. He wants to transform. He wants to change. He wants to alter either the situation or he wants to alter or change us to be able to match the situation that we are in. And then he says something amazing. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. Something that would have been absolutely cruel for anyone to say at that point if they did not have the power and authority to make it happen. In a sense, Jesus is saying, young man, I have the power and authority to raise you from the dead. Arise, get up.
the audacity of Jesus to be able to speak to a dead person and expect that dead person to listen to his voice? Yeah, that's how amazing our God is. He can raise the dead. And Jesus turned this most tragic of moments into a reunion. Because the Bible says that this young man listened and obeyed the authority and power of Jesus' voice and sat up, began to speak, and then I love this beautiful phrase. It says, Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus turned a funeral into a reunion because that's who our Jesus is. Do you believe in that kind of Jesus? Because one of the other things that we are learning here then about our Jesus and how amazing he is is that death is overcome through Jesus. Death totally changes and our perspective of death changes when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We don't look at death the same as Christians. At least we're not supposed to because we are taught in the Word of God that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, we never have to fear death. And we even look at the death of our loved ones in Jesus in a whole different way. Because death is overcome through him. That's why Paul could write to the Thessalonians, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those Christians who've died so that you as Christians will not grieve like those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, we also believe that Jesus will bring with him those who have died in him. And we tell you this by the word of the Lord, Paul says that we who are alive and remain until the Lord comes back, we won't go ahead of them in the resurrection who've died already. No, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the, in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will forever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort and encourage one another with these words, my friends. Death is overcome through Jesus. Amen. And then the Bible says, fear Seize them all. The word fear there simply means awe and wonder. Awe and wonder. I can imagine. I've done hundreds of funerals in 38 years as a pastor. If I had went to a funeral and someone had been raised from the dead, I'd have had some awe and wonder. 
But then it also goes on to say this, and they began glorifying God, praising, celebrating, magnifying God because of what they have seen, what God is doing, how he is moving. It moved them to worship. And I love the fact that it says they began. In other words, they started and they didn't stop. They could not stop glorifying him, praising him, celebrating him, magnifying, extolling him, exalting him. He's an amazing God, not just because of his power and authority that is greater than all power and authority in the universe, but his heart, his compassion, the fact that he sees, that he hears, that he's moved, that he's touched. What an amazing God he is. Ah, but they didn't quite, many of them, get all the way because then the statement is, a great prophet has appeared amongst us. Ah, Jesus is so much more than a great prophet. He's the son of God. As the centurion declared, he's the Lord, the master sovereign of the universe. Oh, but they weren't quite there yet, but that's okay because God is patient. And God was going to continue to work with them just as he does with us because God has come to help his people. And the Bible then says in verse 17, basically the story of all this just spread like wildfire. You can only imagine. Can you imagine the people in the town of Nain saying, we went to this funeral and this guy showed up and he raised this young man from the dead? No. Yeah, we saw it with our own eyes. And we saw his eyes too. We saw a God whose eyes was filled with love for us and for that woman who lost her son. And God wants you and I to see him in that way too. That he's not just this amazing God who has all power and authority and that everything is under his power and authority, but a God who has a heart bigger than you and I could ever imagine. A God who's touched, who's moved, who's affected by the things in our life and what we're going through at all times. His eyes and his attention and his interest is always there for each of us. None of us are lost with God. None of us are ever out of his radar. You know, one of the things that we learn in this passage of Scripture is that the power of Jesus and the presence of faith are an unbeatable combination. I mean, you think about it. Think about that faith that so amazed Jesus that that centurion placed in him, and there was the power, and look what happened. And God wants us to get that today, too, that do we believe in that kind of power that Jesus has, and then can we bring the presence of our faith in and, and meet the power of Jesus? Because when, when God is looking for people of faith to really trust him. And, and we can bring that and we can meet the power of our God. There's nothing that can stand in the way to that combination. So I thought here today, I went back to that verse where it says Jesus was amazed at him and I thought, I want to put us in there. 
How cool would it be today to say that when Jesus saw us worshiping him today at the Oasis, he was amazed. And he looked around at the angels in heaven. And he said, I tell you, in all of Arizona, I have not found such faith. But that part's up to us. We've heard, we've heard about our Jesus. But it can't stop with that. We've got to respond. And Jesus is looking for us to respond to faith. So I'm asking all of us today, including those of you who are watching today, will we respond? I mean really respond. Because we're going to get ready and we're going to sing a worship song that we all know pretty well around here. And it is a song that is declaring, we, we believe, Jesus. We believe. And we're going to bring our presence of faith, and we're going to meet your power, and we're going to begin to see things happen. Because when the power of Jesus meets the presence of our faith, it is an unbeatable combination. I'm going to ask Nicole and the worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. And let's close in prayer and then go right in to our time where we declare our faith, our belief, our trust in the Lord. He is the Lord. He's not just a great prophet. He is the master of the universe. Father, thank you for allowing us today to experience you through worship and through singing songs of praise to you and about you, songs that glorify you, that exalt you, that magnify you, that celebrate you. And thank you, God, for giving us the ability to hear about you through your word, that even though we weren't there 2,000 years ago when these events took place, Lord, neither was the centurion ever there. He just heard, and he responded to what he heard. He was moved by what he heard. So, Lord, may we respond today in kind. May we be moved by what we've experienced here today with your presence here and, and by what we've heard, and may we declare our faith in you. May we declare our strong conviction and certainty about who you are and confidence in what you can do. Would you accept, Lord, our acknowledgement of faith today as we enthusiastically and exuberantly express that faith in you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.